not a rocket ship. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of What's Your and Binge, a podcast brought to you by Joe and Chris. I'm Chris. Joe isn't with us today. He's got some stuff going on there in Arizona with the family and everything, so we're letting him have the day off. But I have with me today a very special guest, uh, Derek, uh, Derek Long. And uh, Derek, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good, Chris. Thank you. And uh, um, so you've got some uh, movies and whatnot. You've got some credits. Uh, I'm looking at you here on, on IMDb. You've done Tales from the Dead Zone, which is in filming. Uh, Killer Neighbors and Body Swap and Murder Comes to Town and, and uh, um, all that good stuff. So what got you into acting and and what what is your what is your long-term goal uh here with this obviously getting to hollywood and getting into a feature but other than that what what's what's the next couple years looking like for Derek? well to start off with it it was kind of a long uh long life um dream fantasy type and you know later in life it, it occurred to me you know this could be possible um from what it seemed like, you know, uh, growing up. So anyway, the more I ventured into it, the more I started having some success and uh, realized that it was possible. And uh, my first look was really in some uh, TV series. Uh, the main one uh, is a show called Murder Comes to Town, which is a crime drama that comes on out of Discovery. I landed a, a role in that as a uh, lead detective. You were Detective Mike Hall in that series, right? Yes, correct. Um, and uh, I've done a, a as well as some other uh, another crime show, which uh, it wasn't quite on the level as Murder Comes to Town, but I was actually a victim in that. Uh, it wasn't as uh, memorable to me as the <laughs> other. <laughs> Yeah, right. uh, not yeah. not just not just from the victim part, but just the uh, film cast it well, the crew and, and you know it, uh, the way it was made. But uh, that's the way it goes, right? But uh, I'm looking in the future. You know, of course, with this uh, shutdown, COVID nineteen is really it's throwing a halt to pretty much everything. I mean, the whole industry. Um. So with uh, the horror film that we're in the process of, uh, Tales from the Dead Zone, that should have been filmed and completed in May. That 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 was the plans, but of course, you know, it's been uh, four four shutdowns in a row of the Canadian border. So you know that that has excluded all the American actors from getting into Canada to getting this finished. So it's it's been a frustrating thing, but you know, what, what can you do? Um, right. And yeah. of course, you know, I, I've been uh, looking at other prospects and, and uh, in the industry and then some uh, big things might be coming up that I can't really elaborate on at the moment, but uh, it's kind of looking promising and, and I'm very excited. Cool. Um, yes. So, so um, it, the, uh, Tales from the Dead Zone. That's that's a Canadian production, I'm assuming. Yes. And um, your first um, first venture was that Murder Comes to Town. Uh, what network did that show on? 
ID Discovery. ID Discovery. Okay, cool. And um, so whenever you're working on set, whether it's, you know, in Canada or going back a couple of years to murder comes to town, ID Discovery, they film everywhere or do you have to go to certain locations to film? Uh, it varies. Uh, that That's totally up to the producers and the, the cast and crew. Uh, okay. it, that could be various locations. So, you know, uh, if, you know, you would live in Virginia, you'd have to travel mm-hmm. to wherever the produ- production is taking place and, and stuff. Um, uh, and of course, you know, that's the whole situation with, uh, tells from the dead zone it's taking place in canada so that requires travel to canada and right now you know who who would who would have thought you know uh all of a sudden a uh, person couldn't go to canada i mean <laughs> it's just kind of mind-blowing <laughs> yeah the the new normal as we call it now you know it's changed a lot of things for a lot of people and and you're feeling the sting of that because you're not able to get in front of the cameras and 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 do the do the acting and uh you know i i uh, from a personal standpoint i i'm a bartender so we were the first people to lose our jobs whenever everything started and um you know it's definitely um caused a lot of obstacles and and some things to be able to navigate through but you know as we all get a little bit more used to this new normal, as they call it. Have they given you any idea or indication? Uh, is uh, Trudeau, is he just keeping the border closed down? Do you know? Or are there any production notes on <clears throat> maybe in September you'll be up there or what? You know, I have not heard. I, um, I've heard that some of the U.S. Uh, I don't know if it was in Congress or I don't know, the U.S. was trying to pressure Canada into opening, but uh, According to some of the um, articles I've read, the Canadians still want it shut down. They don't want the Americans in there. Uh, I guess that you know they're under impression that we haven't taken the COVID thing seriously. So uh, it you know the last one of the last shutdowns they extended to July twenty first, I believe, something like that, or thirty first, whatever. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, well. It come in on uh, the news. And, well, it's extended another month to August twenty first or thirty first. You know, uh, so in August. So I'm like, son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything just keeps getting pushed back, and it, uh, you know, with the uh, with bars and restaurants, whether whether or not you're in the uh, service industry or just wanting to go out and eat, there's a lot of restrictions and. You can't even go to the movies right now. I mean, that's that's completely out the window. And, um, you know, like uh, drive-ins are starting to make a little bit of a comeback. So that's pretty cool. Uh, a little bit of nostalgia. There's a lot of people who've never been to a drive-in and now they're going to get the opportunity to do it. But, um, yeah, definitely a lot of changes have come our way in the last four or five months. And, you know, to be honest, I, I don't know if I really can blame the – Canadians for thinking we don't take it seriously because you know working in a bar the way that I do it in just in the past week we've had nine of our regulars um test positive for COVID and every last one of them to a man were people who were didn't want to wear masks so I can I can and whether or not you believe in the science of the mask or not 
um, doesn't really have anything to do with the fact that everybody's impression is, is that we're all fighting amongst ourselves on whether or not to even wear the damn things. So, uh, you know, I kind of get where they're, where they're coming from on that. It's unfortunate that it does put a stoppage to work, but I mean, at some point we're going to have to get a damn handle on this, um, you know, one way or the other. So, well, it's, it, you see a lot of people, uh, like, especially on Facebook, there's always certain ones that constantly post the same thing every day about, you know, the numbers going up, wear your mask, stay home. Uh, and, of course, they all correlate it politically with the president and their disdain for him. And, and you know, after a while, you just get so sick of seeing that. You know, yeah. you, you think of yourself, I tune it out at this point. You, you get under the impression, you know, some people are, are content with this. They it's like they want to stay home. They they want to wear masks for now to doomsday. Uh, me personally, no, I, I don't want to do that. Uh, right. Uh, you know, there needs to be some end in sight or, or some kind of elaboration, uh, but there's not. So, <laughs> uh. I I, uh, I ask everybody this question: that if if we were to gather 100 just completely random people and put them into the building. What do you think the chances are that at least one of those 100 people would be a complete fucking moron? The chances are pretty good that you're going to run into somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of common sense if you gather up, a, you know, 100 random strangers. That's right. actually, you know, like uh, five times the percentage chance that uh, you could die from COVID. So, I mean, there's a lot of conflicting stats out there and a lot of conflicting news and it's just you know make the most of it and, and hopefully you can you know get back on track with everything do you have um acting has become it's more than a passion it's something that you're doing you're trying to make it a, re- a full-time gig since 2018 are you having to rely on it on a day job at this point in time until everything settles down yeah i i'm still involved with the trucking industry uh we, over the road or what well yeah it uh company i'm involved with we're contracted to the u.s postal service so we haul mail and of course you know that that doesn't stop so right through this whole pandemic uh when it came out i was had been running to brunswick georgia and back and forth to harrisonburg virginia and um which you know i'm blessed you know i had work and in and, and all that but with Georgia, they were one of the states that opened up the earliest. Uh, their yeah, they opened up really early. Them in Texas and Florida. And you could, uh, they had patrons going back in the restaurant, but the uh, staff was still wearing their masks and all that in the beginning. And the, the service was extremely slow. Then it picked up and uh, things seemed to be getting back to normal. And then here comes July. And all of a sudden, I started hearing the governor of South Carolina on uh, the radio preaching, saying, if these numbers keep going up, I will start closing stuff down. People will wear masks and uh, blah, 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 and that. So next thing I know, South Carolina and even Georgia, you bought, I went to walk in the truck stop to buy two bananas, got to the counter. They hand, uh, The girl handed me a box and said, will you put one of these on so I, can rain, so I won't get in trouble? I says, you want me to put on a mask so you can ring up those two bananas? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I grabbed the mask, put it on my face, and, and she wound me up. And I uh, left. But, um, 
It's hey, definitely yeah. weird times. I used to live in South Carolina in Clemson. It's, it's a, a pretty cool area down there. It's beautiful, of course. And wow. uh, uh, you're in Virginia, not West Virginia, right? Correct. Okay. All right. So your first project being in a studio, you know, working under the lights and having a director and scripts and all that good stuff in 2018, what got you there? Did you like try, try out for some commercials or did you just do a reading and and someone liked you and brought you in or how'd you get going? (laughs) I threw some connections and I auditioned for the part and, uh, the casting director contacted me and, and uh, everything. So told me they were sorry about the delay, you know, getting uh, getting back to me and everything. So, you know, me me still being fairly new, I was under impression you know, that eventually they take care of giving me the script. So anyhow, the morning, the first day of shooting, I get on set and we're shooting inside this. Uh, this little pizza place and I hadn't even seen the script yet. And I started asking around and, uh, they said, you mean they didn't send it to you? And I said, no. <laughs> and, uh, so come to find out it was a 50, I don't know, it was like 56 pages or so, mm-hmm. something on order of that. So here, here I am. I had, uh, was able to, to get my hands on it and I, I'm there. Oh, I'm nervous trying to, you know, look over these lines, remember the lines and everything. And uh, it wasn't, you know, just uh, a little bit later, we had to shoot the first scene. And I'm like, man, this this is awful. And and I almost walked out. You know, I almost just got back in the car and left, but I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. Did it just feel like it was horribly unorganized or you just weren't familiar with the process? Both. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was just a lack of communication. Um, you know, an actor should have a script, of course, and of course, I didn't get mine until the day of, which <laughs> you know, might, they might look at and say, "Well, you know, it's, it's might have been my fault too um, for not requesting it." And uh, but yeah, my, most of my lines, yeah, I, I remembered. Uh, there was one that yeah, I couldn't. I just kept forgetting. I couldn't remember for the life of me. And uh, finally, the uh, director says, well, yeah, it, it's it's this, you know, uh, whatever the line was. And right. Yeah. Uh, other than that, things went really well. And then moving moving on to the, the second project there uh, with Body Swamp, uh, looks like that was just a, a quick part for you, kind of like uh, – the vengeance. Well, it was a lot quicker than vengeance. It, it was, yeah, it was just uh, a cafe scene when uh, okay. the two ma- two main actors come in. They got in, a, in an argument uh, with one another and everything. But you know, w- with that film, it's completed, and I think it's went to the film festival. But I don't think it has come out on DVD yet. And I got I got my CDLs two thousand three and. Uh, uh, drove long haul for just a little bit, and I, I, I've worked uh, different jobs in the trucking industry. Uh, you know, I've done 
dry vans, uh, then live haul with poultry, flatbed. Um, with the, this mail hauling, I, I've been involved with that nine years with this company. So, so is that that's something that you did right out of school? Did you did you go to college? Where did you play sports? What what's the background like? A little bit there. No, I didn't do it right out of school. Um, okay. I was I was in the workforce when I left school and uh, a lot of hard labor jobs, uh, that type of thing. And uh, then eventually when I got my CDLs, uh, of course I got trucking in the trucking industry and, and you know, cause I like to travel anyway. So, uh, you know, I've had my experience with that and yeah, with that type of job, you know, when, when you run, the same route, you know, constantly back and forth like I do. It, it's, of course, it's 617 miles one way. You know, a- after a while, you get burned out on it. Yeah, that could be boring pretty quick if you're taking the same route every single time. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, you got you got a lot of time to think when, when you're on this <laughs> job. And, uh, you know, it, um, it, it gets old. It gets old yeah, real definitely. quick. And what was your what was your calling to, um, you know, do that first reading or try out for that first part? What 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 struck a chord with you that got you to jump out there and take that leap of faith and, and give it a shot? Well, I, I was searching around, you know, being a new actor and, and looking for gigs. And uh, I happened to run across it and uh, the part that was up for audition and the scene uh and the scene description of what uh, was involved and it just stuck out to me and i thought you know this is me i I know i think i can do this and so i auditioned for it and they were pleased with it so i I got the part uh and yeah and i've worked with some really good people too on set uh there's another lead detective and the sheriff and that type of thing. And uh, since you've since you've uh, started going down this road, have you done the whole cliche thing? Where are you doing any acting classes, or are you just trying to do workshops? Or are you learning as you go on the set, picking everybody's brains? What, what's that like? I've been involved with a few. Uh, Acting classes. I, matter of fact, I've done one in uh, Louisville. Uh, she used to be an old theater director. Okay. Uh, and when I spent time in Louisville, uh, like my layovers, I, I would go. Luckily, I mean, that's how I got lucky uh, to get into some of, some of those things. And uh, then later on, uh, like a year ago, I was involved with a uh, – comedy troupe in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, it's called Groove Cat Comedy Club. I would get there when I could, and uh, their main objective was to get a TV show going and that type of thing, because the guy uh, that ran the taught the class, David Webster, he used to be involved with uh, Second City in Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh I believe one time his, his comedy troupe had a TV show years back on Turner Network or something like that. But my time frame just and some other things going on in my life just 
fell through, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with being there. And of course, you know, the shutdown stuff come, I'm sure they got shut down also. So, right. you know, I, I've, I've been involved with acting classes and clubs, that type of thing. Um, now the, the, um, the comedy troupe, yeah, are they doing, is that mostly all improv and ad lib or are they doing, are, are you doing any stand up, or is it all just skits? Oh, it, it's a variety. Um, it, it's mostly improv. Uh, short short form. Yeah. Uh, different scenarios, improv. I think, I think they work on some stand up. Uh, we do. They've done a lot of uh, hippie like type of exercises, relaxation techniques before we start the class. Right. Uh, we, we walk around the room, you know, touch things, you know, teach you to be in the moment. How to center on, yourself. Yeah. Right. Lay on the floor, <laughs> lay on the floor, take a deep breath, let everything out and stretch. And, uh, you know, that, I, mean, I actually, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I really did. I just wish I had uh, the, the time frame to, you know, to keep up with it. Um. And I forgot to mention about we were talking about the show Vengeance. Now that show, that was the first time I was involved with the stunt coordinator, uh, being that I was a victim that was shot. Okay. Uh, they done a scene uh, late at night on a little side road where uh, I attacked the father and son with a big stick and. They pulled out a gun. I think the father pulled out a gun and shot me. So the stunt coordinator, they had a little thin mat they laid beside the road, and he'd show you exactly how you, they wanted you to fall and that type of thing, which I did well. And uh, I think it maybe took two texts or so on the, the uh, murder scene. Uh, because you, you hold on to the stick and you let it glide down through your hand like like you're going to crack the guy over the head with it. Right. And you do it to the son and then turn to do it to the father. At that time, the father pulls out his pistol and shoots you. And then they do two scenarios of it. The, uh, one where the guy was sober and one where the guy was drunk. So I had to, to go with the stick, get shot and stagger towards him. And, uh, of course, get blown away and fall and, and stuff. But, um, yeah, so I guess I guess that's a little experience with the stunt coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> so getting shot, did you have the little blood pack or anything, or was it just a boomy fall down kind of deal? Yeah, well, actually, they, they, they would – I believe they put that on you once you fell because they – they wanted you to lay still, and uh, they laid the uh, the club over top of you, and then then they had when the police cars come in, police out with their flashlights and all that type of thing. Uh, might have some shell casings too. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, cool. And um, is there? Uh, you, you said that uh, you have something coming up that uh, might be might be pretty big and you're not at liberty to talk about it i'm sure that you know there's script approvals and all of that stuff that goes into it for anybody who's not in the business or, or talk to anybody who 
really is it um you know that there's a long process to not only getting a movie funded but off the ground getting your director and production team set up and then casting it, uh, it, uh, any of these shows that you've done uh, were you involved in the actors read through did you go to the reading table or did you just show up and it's day one time to shoot i, I showed up and uh, we me and i would rehearse with some of the other actors we would rehearse between scenes uh okay. and, and things uh like we had one situation uh at, at, a, at a car wash where the other actor kept forgetting his lines and it was a pain in the ass because we had to start from uh, the other side of the store mm. come walk in you got to walk through the store then walk through the door that leads to the garage and then approach the uh suspect and while he's washing his car and uh the other detective starts talking, you know, and he forget his lines and we had to, you know, go all the way back out, start over. <laughs> and eventually the, uh, the, um, yeah. Any scene that has the uh, movement with dialogue and you have to know your spots and you have to know your sides and you have to know what the, if you've never worked with the director before, then you have no idea if he's going to let you go off the cuff any, or if he's like real strict script, script adherence. You know, so you're you're learning on the fly, and then in the meantime, you have somebody who didn't memorize their lines like that. That's that could be a little bit aggravating. You know, um, the name of the name of the game. Whenever you come on set, you know, be professional and be prepared, and you know, know know your lines and know your spots for sure. And <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And so eventually, um, after. The last one of the last times it happened to the uh, director screen fuck. <laughs> I'm there biting my lip not to laugh. Uh, because what, what it was was the <clears throat> I heard the producer and director talking that the owners of the car washes wanting us out of there and stuff. And, and so, you know, trying to get the scene shot and, and getting the lines correct, you know, it was all uh creating tension so uh-huh yeah you're you're now officially going over budget and over production right yeah uh, <laughs> and that, that makes that makes the whole scene tense on set for sure tv especially if you don't have like a, a really you know a larger network budget or something you know then it's not like you have 17 takes to get a scene right you know you got to get it done in two or three or four shoots and and that and move on or else you start running out of daylight real quick Right, exactly. And uh, you know, those those sets are, are uh a lot of people think they could act because they you know, they can do imitations around their friends or whatever, but I promise you you get you get on set and you have the lights and the directors uh, you know, yelling yelling at you about where you need to be and all that good stuff. Well it, it gets under your skin real quick. It so there that there's a reason a lot of people go out to Hollywood and end up waiting tables for twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. That, that, that's right and then of course you got the burden of uh uh the the wardrobe department you know telling you well you know you need to uh come down and change that tie you know different color tie mm-hmm. for the next scene and uh if you're you're not that familiar with doing a windsor knot then you got to depend on them to try to tie the damn thing for you and, <laughs> and, <laughs> so you know and, 
Well, it's a little bit unfair to ask somebody who's driven a truck for 17 years, you know, how's your uh, tie, your uh, your not tying skills? Because it's not like you dress in a suit every day in the in your semi. So that's um, yeah. Right. But uh, um, <clears throat> as far <clears throat> excuse me, as far as um, what's coming up in the future for you, and and again, I know you said that you can't really uh, talk on the specifics, but is there a possible move out west uh, in the works for you, or? or... Uh, well, I will say this: it is pretty damn close out to out west. Really? Good. Yeah, yeah. Very uh, cool. Let's just say it would kind of be like home on the range type of territory. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a big thing. I mean, I. And until we get a little bit further, I don't want to, you know, start talking yeah, don't about jinx it. it man, and don't, yeah. yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah, but I get it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. If you're going, if you're anything, you could go out where they have the bigger sets and they have the, you know, the bigger production and everything. The further west you get, the bigger the budgets get. And uh, um, I, now, uh, since you worked on um, investigation on, on the, the ID channel with that one show, did that get you your SAG card, or you still have uh, some things to do for that? Uh, no, actually, I need – I've got two vouchers. I need one more thing, and then uh, I'll have it. Okay. Um, you know what actually got, got me the uh, two vouchers for SAG? What? Is – uh. Remember the show Homeland on uh, Showtime? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. They had come out. This is before all this, what we've talked about. They they had come to Richmond, Virginia to shoot, and they were looking for a lot of extras. Well, mm-hmm. extras, and uh, it was shooting on this property. So I contacted the casting director, and, of course, you know, I was told to come out, and uh, it, it was supposed to be for a uh, – militia crew and they had the outfits and, and everything and now you talking about work we probably put 14 16 hours on set in a day um we filmed and it was in the fall months so we would do scenes like where they had pickup trucks lined up and we would have to pull up each pickup truck jump out untarp the back of the truck bed and carry all these supplies into this house and back and forth. And they kept doing it over and over and over, you know, oh, calling yeah. cut and, and stuff. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, this is going to look good on the show. <laughs> and, Did it ever show up? <laughs> hell no. And, <laughs> and even the end where all of us were shot, they had us laying on the damn ground. And it, it was so cold, uh, you know, you, your hands started getting a little numb and, that thing that cover you with blood and stuff and, and and all that. And of course, you know, we got free lunch. Uh, the main actor was there. One of Mandy, Mandy Patankin. What, how do you pronounce the name? Mandy. Uh, Patton. Pattingen. Pattingen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, he was there a day or two. Uh, he was there the last day too. Um, and, well, see, anyway, when it came on TV, the only thing I seen was just a glimpse of a couple of us come walking by the camera of oh. uh, two of the main actors. And I see myself. I, I said to myself, "That's it." They work. 
they worked you like dogs to have a one second split in the film, huh? That's awesome. yeah, yeah. No kidding. I, I mean, I mean that that was just hard. As like I, I split wood a lot, and, and and that was damn near almost hard as working splitting wood. And, and that was the outcome of it. Well, of course, I got two vouchers for SAG, so I guess maybe I shouldn't. I, uh, back in, I think it was. Uh, I'm probably gonna really fuck up the years on this but i believe it was 92 or 93 whenever they filmed a league of their own here in southern indiana uh you know with tom hanks and madonna and all that shit right anyways uh we have one of only like three or four like really historic baseball fields that are still operational so that's why they chose to film here um, because it wasn't just a fake backdrop, it was a real stadium that they were filming in that actually, you know, we still play games at today. And anyways, uh, they were casting for extras, uh, you know, to be in the stands or whatever. So I went down there and, and um, I filled out the paperwork for it. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like five or six hours of wait time. Um projected and by the time we got to the fourth or fifth hour i was like man I, uh yeah i can't do this and i left so i got uh, one of those voucher letters from sag because i had registered that way and um obviously i didn't have a credit or anything i didn't appear in the show or shoot but that paperwork is funny once you fill it out and it goes through the process like you get something back from them so it's kind of funny to think how many people out there might have SAG credentials who've never even stepped. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Never even stepped on set. And obviously you have to have more than a couple of vouchers to actually be, you know, a SAG actor. But still, you know, to have a couple of va- vouchers uh, lurking around out there somewhere just because you filled out paperwork is kind of funny, really. It's probably the same ordeal with uh, people that, that's got a winning uh, Powerball ticket or, or... – something in the lottery, you know, and went and tossed it in the trash and didn't even realize uh-huh. it and stuff. But what was it they was wanting, wanting the extras to do there? Uh, they uh, they had um, one group they were going to put in the stands. This, uh, this uh, baseball stadium holds maybe approximately 800 people, and they wanted it to be as real as possible. So there was going to be 800 extras in the stands. Every seat was full. And then you have people walking by on the street behind, you know, where there's gaps in the fences and you can see the backdrop, um, you know, behind the stadium, extras walking there. Like there was one, there were a few people uh, that they were going to let be vendors. Like if you wanted to be the hot dog guy or the peanut guy up in the stands, you could sign up for that. Um, And then there was a few other uh, spots here in town where they uh, filmed that, that you could sign up to be extras there. Uh, one of them was one of the historical uh, hotels downtown on the riverfront. And the other one, um, they filmed it at a school, and I can't remember what they called it in the movie. I think it was like the dorm house for the girls when they traveled. But it was actually a school here in Evansville. So they filmed extras there, too. So, And um, Madonna was in town, and Hanks was in town, and, and all that stuff, so... Like, all of us got to see them. If you went to go sign up to be extras, there's a real good chance that you saw one of them. Um, so, I mean, it was a cool experience and everything, but just the funniness right. of I've lost I've lost that thing that I received in the mail because I knew I didn't, you know, I didn't earn anything. It wasn't, it's not like I actually went to set, so I have no idea where the hell it went, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that sounds probably what I would do. <laughs> I had more important things to do, man. Back then, I was uh, I was training to fight uh, professionally. I was doing hook and shoot. This is you know long before MMA was like mainstream stuff and and uh, all of that. And so uh, I had I had more important shit to do. And plus, it was too early in the morning for me. I probably just gotten off work at one of the strip clubs at like three hours before. So oh. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel you there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're you're born and raised there in, in Virginia. I, uh, you know, the accent kind of gives it away there a little bit. Um, did you go to college or anything? No, I went to work. No? Okay, me too, man. Me too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, man. It's the way it is. But uh, uh, any sports? You, you interested in any anything that's going on now, right now, with Major League Baseball and NBA and like I'm a big UFC guy, so I get a kick out of watching, watching the UFCs. Um, you know, because I've been in the ring, so I know what it sounds like to get hit, or to hear the other guy breathing, or to hear the corner. But now that they're filming it and there's no crowd, everybody gets to hear that. And right. For, for a lot of people, it's like you know, really eye opening because these punches or jabs before that you thought weren't nothing, and then you hear them actually get cracked. You're like, oh shit, that probably hurts. Hell yeah, it hurts. Um, you know, but people don't know that without the crowd there. So are you, are you waiting for football? What, what do you watch? I still keep up with the boxing world. Um, I was always a fan of that and I always was, I always liked, uh, um, WVU football, uh, Morgantown. Okay. Uh, some of the college, uh, NFL, you know, I can take or leave, uh, Let's see. What do you think about uh, Tyson and Roy Jones for this exhibition? You know, that's pretty interesting. Uh, uh, I don't know if they'll have to put any Ben Gay on sore <laughs> muscles or anything like that, but uh, they'll both. Be uh, but they're not. I mean, they're Roy Jones is more of a light heavyweight. Or yeah, that's my that's even, my thing is that he never actually fought at heavyweight, and he never really had one punch power. He was more technical. He was the best pound per pound fighter for about ten years. You know, I mean, he was a great, great boxer, but he never had that one punch power. And they're coming out here for this exhibition, and you know, they're both. I mean, if it goes past four or five rounds, they're both going to be gassed. So the first couple rounds, they're throwing haymakers, and that's not where Jones measures up for me so i don't know it it'll still be fun to see it yeah i think he was more of a, a volume puncher or a yeah stick and go type of thing but you know as far as power um and uh viciousness no uh yeah, he doesn't come close we to know who that is something now and um I saw a video the other day of Jones sparring and with Tyson hitting the hitting the mitts. Tyson definitely looks like he's gotten himself back into shape quicker. And Jones looks like he's just put on the weight to qualify to be a heavyweight. He doesn't look like he's still in shape. And if he gets in too much shape, he, he's going to be, you know, it's going to be a catch weight. He won't be a real heavyweight. So. That that kind of worries me too. If you're fifty something and you're getting hit in the in the damn head by Mike Tyson, uh, that is not good for the brain. That's for damn sure. Uh, well, what what weight is he at now? 
Well, uh, he's yeah. uh, he's a good 210, 215. I mean, he's a legitimate heavyweight as he stands now, but he's not in shape. So you right. know, if, if he does spar himself or train himself into shape, I don't see how he's going to be able to hold that. It's 202 pounds for a boxer to be a real heavyweight. So I don't, I don't, he was never close to that whenever he had the belt. He was like 188, 189 at his biggest. So, you know, closer to a cruiserweight, maybe. Yeah. Or a welter, I think. I think a boxer yeah. would be a welter, um, super, super cruiser or welterweight, I think it is. But yeah, I, I don't know. It, it'd definitely be fun to see. It'd be, it'd be entertaining, if nothing else, just because Tyson's just going to go ahead and go all in on the gimmick and just give, it, give the fans their money's worth, you know, because it's a money grab for both of them. You know, so right. they got to sell pay-per-view tickets. So I'm sure he's going to come out and act it up as much as possible. And Jones it, is pretty good with the mic, too. So it'll be entertaining. It's all about the names, you know. Yeah. They got they got the names, the big names. So uh, whether it, it, the fight sucks or not, it really won't matter. But uh, it might well, be interesting. Delivered, it won't suck. You know, as long <laughs> as it doesn't try to go any kind of distance with them sparring, that right. sucks. Because I mean, nobody wants to watch fifty-five-year-old guys go eight rounds <laughs> uh, <laughs> and not really do any damage to each other. So. Right. Well, see, Jones was not. I don't know. It was a year or two ago. He was involved in a uh, fight with a. Uh, he was more of a class C type of boxer, and he was. Uh, he was. I think he started one of these boxing clubs here in uh, Stanton, Virginia. And uh, really, you know, he, he was in. fighting underground like that at boxing clubs. No, it was actually out. I think it happened in Vegas. I don't know. I don't know how you know the boy got to fight with him, but uh, you know he. Of course, the boy didn't. His opponent didn't win, but you know he kind of bull. He would bull Jones against the ropes and, and that type of thing. Uh, and of course, Jones would keep his hands down and talk to people outside of the ring, just kind of you know to mock him and right. make him look bad and stuff. But the boy's one of those types where you know he can tech a lot. You know, uh, he can keep coming at you. You know, if he does get hit and that type of thing. But uh, but that's the last fight I've seen of Jones. I wonder um, what was that for um what's his face per, uh golden boy promotion was that it wasn't for top rank it, it must have been for Chavez's uh golden boy right it it might have been it was uh it was Jones versus Sigmund okay Scott, yeah huh yeah, yeah. it would definitely be be interesting and then you know what the you know what's actually really entertaining? I don't know if you've watched any of it or not. I'm I'm not a basketball fan uh, by any stretch of the imagination, and li- at least not until it gets like to the conference finals and it actually gets interesting. But watching the way they're doing it now with no fans and just hearing like LeBron James call everybody a fucker and bitch and all of this other shit, like these guys, just all of them, all ten people on the court, talk just all kinds of cash shit. And uh, like they, uh, I noticed last weekend, someone was talking about it. They moved the microphones back away from the so it wouldn't pick it up so much. Because um, it's not like you're going to tell LeBron James to, you know, stop talking shit or tell Zion Williamson to keep it down or whatever. So they had to move the mics back so that way it's just behind the benches and, and not picking up the court as much. 
but it is kind of kind of funny to hear them go at it out there on the, on the court. If you've never been to a live pro game, you would never imagine all of them talk that much shit. Right. I can imagine. Well, Derek, um, let's go ahead and, and move into the last portion of the show here, and then I'll let you go. I really appreciate you coming in on, on, a, on a Sunday evening like this. Uh, let's go ahead and play. Uh, um, do you have a, a show that you've binged during quarantine? Oh, uh, not so much during, during quarantine, but uh, before, yes. Okay, all right, so you do have a show to talk about? All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so what I, would I find the show on one of the streaming services like Netflix or Hulu, or is it still a like network show or cable show? Both. So it was made for network and they're showing all the old stuff on Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Okay. And is this a action, a drama, a comedy? I would say you would call it a drama, drama. Let's just call it a drama. Call it a drama. Okay. And is the uh, catalyst for the situation of the show, is it revolving around a family or a business or a group of friends? Um, what's going What's going on there? It could be, it can, it, it involves one time it might involve family. One time it might involve business. It might involve a uh, cruise ship. It might involve a, uh, magician show um hmm. it might involve a doctor but whether it's any of those it all involves murder okay all right so um is this show still currently running on network i don't know i, I do know last time i seen it was on me tv me tv Okay, so is this NCIS? No. Okay. Law and Order. No. Okay, all right. It's older. Uh, huh? It's older than that. Oh, it's older than that. Yeah. It, it's the show come out late 60s through the 70s and probably maybe some of the 80s. Oh, okay. Uh, is any of it in black and white? No. No. It's not murder she wrote. Is it? No. You get you're getting warm though. Oh, what's it, the one where Andy Griffiths was the lawyer? Um Matlock? No, but now you you're getting hot. You you're getting hot. You're in the pseudonym or, or you're in the you're in the same ballpark uh as as his character. All right, so it's a um, uh, okay. So is it a uh, every week? It's a recurring who done it kind of deal. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So uh, not Matt Flock. Not Matt. Not on. Not that. Not not that. Older than that. Oh man! Don't tell me I'm going to sit here and draw a blank on this. Um. See, Matt Matlock. Matlock was a non-smoker. And this guy's a smoker? Uh-huh. Oh, man. Well, 
I, yeah. Um, you smoke cigars? Yes. What's the uh, Raymond Burr is the actor in it, right? Why can't no. I think of the name of this? No, it wasn't him. No, it's not him. Okay, all right. So it's a who done it? It ran from the seventies and and sixties, seventies, eighties. It's new enough in the sixties. It didn't run black and white, so it's all color. Right. And it's a different episode every time, but it's a. Figure out who 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 did it. Okay. Ah. Um, yeah. oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, what's the one with the um, uh, the coroner guy? Um, oh, Columbo. Is it Columbo? That's him. All right. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, I love that show. <clears throat> definitely good. Uh, definitely uh, a lot of people went on to be something after being on that show um there's a lot of like really cool cameos on that show and um yeah uh, i mean that's classic hollywood classic tv yeah and some of the settings they've done like like out in california and on a cruise ship and, and just the way that he irritated the the hell out of uh, some of the suspects. I mean, it, it was, I love that. Yeah. The whole thing where he would be like, okay, I'm sorry to bother you and turn around and go, Oh, one more thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he did that. To, uh, that was the catch line in pretty much every episode. Let's see here. That ran for, I'm wanting to say, uh, 68 episodes started in 1971. Do you know what kind of car Columbo drives? It was some kind of old French car. Uh, uh, it was French maize. Would it start with a C or it's an F? A, it's a 59 Peugeot. Peugeot. F-U-E-S. No, P-E-U Peugeot. P-E-U. Okay. Yeah, it is a French I, car. Only 504 of them were made in 1959. Damn. Yeah. So yeah I, I want museum oh i'm sure it is i'm sure it, so like even if nothing else like jay leno fucking has it or something or um adam carolla probably has one and so originally it was a two-hour pilot that came out in 68 it took three years to go from the pilot to the series yeah that's see that's what i was thinking i knew the pilot come out in about 68 because it was about the pilot was about two hours long yep that's what it says here Two hours, but but you know it, it's like his his character morphed because if you watch the pilot, he was he was different the way he acted than he did like in the uh, the later scenes. Mm-hmm. I may you know I don't know, maybe maybe just because he got older you know he just was naturally different or something. But you know if you you really you go back and watch it you can see what I mean. Um. Uh, well, he would change right. his character during the course of filming, kind of like what Monk used to do on that show, where you would know who the murderer was at the beginning, and then you would see him, um, or like what they did on Diagnosis Murder, you would see how the murder happened at the beginning of the show, and then he would have to retrace his... If, see, my favorite episode is, one of them is called A Stitch in Crime, and it had a... Uh, Shoot the guy, the actor from the Waltons, Grandpa Walton, uh, and uh, 
Spock, he played a doctor that was trying oh, to kill Leonard the other Nimoy? doctor. Okay. Yeah, Leonard Nimoy. And uh, there's a scene where Columbo got mad at him because Nimoy was laughing at him when he was on to him and he grabbed uh, something off his desk, Nimoy's desk, and slammed it down and, uh, you know, was telling him off and stuff, you know. And I thought that, that was totally out of character from what it usually is. Um, so maybe, maybe I was just part, you know, part of the script. Yeah, uh, part of the gimmick for that for that one. Um, right. Did you ever see? Do you have any favorite uh, Peter Falk movies? Movies? Yeah. Ah, uh, he was. I think I seen him one time in, in one of the Italian mob movies. What was it? It wasn't The Godfather. It was. Uh, he was a machine gun McCain. That might be what you're talking about. Or um, let's see here. Uh, so his uh, the movie of his that I really liked uh, the most. Um, did you ever see the um, the Untouchables? Was really good too. I'm trying to find the damn thing. Run Serpentine Show. You'll avoid the bullets. Uh, what uh, the um, Outsiders. Did you ever see that? Uh, I believe so. Some of it. Yeah. That's that's uh that's Hollywood gold right there. That's like a, a, a real Hall of Fame kind of movie. It's actually the original screenplay for Meet the Parents, also. No kidding. Yeah. I love I, I watch I mean a lot of his interviews, uh even the podcasts he does currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch those some and, and but it's, it's still nothing like, you know, when he's with the Midnight Express and... and with the fabulous you know, ones and the moon dogs and all of that shit going on. But the Midnight Express, that was definitely by far his uh, his best best work. Oh, de- definitely. Um, they feud with the Road Warriors, and then you had Lex Luger and, and, and all those guys. Uh, but now... Now you watch wrestling and it just sucks. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's made for a whole new... Whole new generation, you know. They 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 got to capture kids while they're young, so they're trying to appeal to them to keep them, you know. Because we we got into wrestling back whenever it was wrestling, and then right. you know bring up NWA and and uh, the OWWF and and everything, you know. Uh, Stone Cold would be the last person who like really grabbed my attention and made me super interested in wrestling. So that's twenty three years now, twenty twenty years. Yeah, since he was and, really. And in and, and Stone Cold, yeah, he was involved with the WCW and, and all those guys. He got too, fired was... by Bischoff. Yeah, he got fired by Bischoff. They said they'd never be able to put him over. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and, <laughs> and and what really got you know one time those organizations would never mention the other one like between oh back NWA. in the territory days no they never acknowledged the other one's champ or anything. Yeah, and then when you would see wrestlers from the the NWA go to the WWF and it's like, it just, they'd have a lane change and a stupid gimmick. Like remember Terry Taylor, they brought him in. He went to the red rooster. Yeah. And And, and Lex Luger went from the uh, total package to the narcissist and uh standing in front of mirrors and the WWF. And Uh, uh, the only one, the only person whose gimmick they didn't fuck with only because they couldn't was Jerry Lawler. You can't mess right. with the king, you know. That everybody else, like even Tolly Blanchard and Arn Anderson, other than Ric Flair, I mean, everybody else they screwed with their gimmick. Right. 
<laughs> I, and I think Nikita Koloff was the the only one one of those guys that didn't go to the WWF, right? Yeah, he ended up staying in, in the uh, independents uh, forever and ever and ever. Uh, right. I love. I, I watch. I mean, a lot of his interviews, uh, even the podcast he does currently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch those some, and, and but it's, it's still nothing like you know when he's with the Midnight Express and, and with the fabulous you know, ones and the Moon Dogs and all of that shit going on. But the Midnight Express that was definitely by far his uh, his best best work. Oh, de- definitely. Um, they feud with the Road Warriors, and then you had Lex Luger and, and, and all those guys. Uh, but now, now you watch wrestling and it just sucks. I mean, it's... yeah, it's it's not it's it's made for a whole new, whole new generation. You know, they 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 got to capture kids while they're young, so they're trying to appeal to them to keep them. You know, because we we got into wrestling back whenever it was wrestling, and then right. you know, bring up NWA and and. Uh, the OWWF and, and everything, you know, uh, Stone Cold would be the last person who like really grabbed my attention and made me super interested in wrestling. So that's 23 years now, 20, 20 years yeah. since he was and, really in and, and, and Stone Cold, yeah, he was involved with the WCW and, and all he, those guys. He got too, fired by was... Bischoff. Yeah, he got fired by Bischoff. They said they'd never be able to put him over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. And, and and what really got you know one time those organizations would never mention the other one like between oh back NWA. in the territory days no they never acknowledged the other one's champ or anything yeah and then when you would see wrestlers from the the NWA go to the WWF and it's like it just they'd have a name change and a stupid gimmick like remember Terry Taylor they brought him yeah, in they went to the Red Rooster yeah and. and, uh, and Lex Luger went from the uh, total package to the narcissist and uh-huh. standing in front of mirrors in the WWF. And uh, uh, the only one, the only person whose gimmick they didn't fuck with, only because they couldn't, was Jerry Lawler's. You can't mess right. with the king, you know. That everybody else, like even Tolly Blanchard and Arn Anderson, other than Ric Flair, I mean, the, everybody else they screwed with their gimmick. Right. <laughs> I, and I think Nikita Koloff was the the only one one of those guys that didn't go to the WWF, right? Yeah, he ended up staying in, in the uh, independence uh, forever and ever and ever. Uh, right. Yeah. Do you remember Max Gia? Oh yeah, yeah, and he got let's see, he got injured, right? Yeah, he got fucked up in a car wreck and was never able to really work again. He tried, but it just wasn't the same. And Eddie Gilbert, he was killed. And a car wreck. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, and see, it, there was a, a period that I think Jim Cornette had left WCW to go to WWF, but from what I heard on his podcast, he said that just wasn't him being in WWF. Well, it, uh, he was in the WWF from like '92 until Vince Russo, with uh, you know, about the about the middle or the end of the attitude era that was pretty much it for him right uh so which i can't blame him being that old school of a guy and here's vince russo he thinks he, he can recreate a comic book and, and make a good old school wrestling uh definitely not the case and remember Cordy's, when uh... he's really stuck in his ways and everything and he's like really super old school and doesn't doesn't listen to anything that's going on which is good for mm-hmm. him 
but you know, things do have to change and evolve. You can't do things that appeal to a 50 year old and expect a 12 year old to like it. And if you want to keep, <laughs> keep fans for life, you got to get them when they're 12, you know? So, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Was that Vince Russo? Remember that incident where Hulk Hogan, I think he was in, yeah, when Hogan was in WCW and Russo had Hogan's opponent told him to just get down, lay on the uh, canvas. Uh, yeah, that was with uh, Diesel. That, um, um, oh, shit. Yeah. And Hogan just covered him, or yeah, or was it was the, the finger tap hurt uh, hurt around the world where he just touched him and he fell down. And Kevin Nash was able to pin him to get the get the strap. And then shortly after that, he lost it to um, what's her face's brother, um, the guy who was in all the screams, um, right? Uh, that stupid little scrawny actor. Uh, anyways, he ended up winning winning the belt shortly after that. So yeah, but there but, was. The the incident where yeah that's who it was. It, wasn't there an incident where Hogan? Uh, wasn't the Russo told Hogan's opponent just to lay on the canvas and, and they told Hogan to pin him and won the match that way. Then Hogan got on the microphone and I think he he was really he was off script mad. He said uh, Russo is bullshit like that that makes his company look bad. Uh, yeah, what's doing? a promo on the whole deal, and, he, and it was all a work to begin with. I mean, they knew what they were doing when they went out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was all a work, but that was Kevin Nash he did that with. Kevin Nash came out and tapped him on the shoulder, and he fell down, and Kevin Nash got the strap from him. Yeah, that's pretty much the death of the WCW. They were on a real good run until they fucked with the fans like that. That was pretty much the end of it. Yeah. Do you remember Max GA? Oh yeah, yeah, and he got. Let's see, he got injured, right? Yeah, he got fucked up in a car wreck and was never able to really work again. He tried, but it just wasn't the same. And Eddie Gilbert, he was killed in a car wreck. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, and see, it, there was a, a period that I think Jim Cornette had left WCW to go to WWF, but. From what I heard on his podcast, he said that just wasn't him being in WWF. Well, uh, he was in the WWF from like 92 until Vince Russo with, uh, you know, about the about the middle or the end of the Attitude Era. That was pretty much it for him. Right. Uh, So which I can't blame him being that old school of a guy. And here's Vince Russo. who Thanks. He, he can recreate a comic book and, and make a good old school wrestling. Uh, definitely not the case. And Remember Corn's, when uh, he's really stuck in his ways and everything. And he's like really super old school and doesn't, doesn't listen to anything that's going on, which is good for him. But you know, things do have to change and evolve. You can't do things that appeal to a 50 year old and expect a 12 year old to like it. And if you want to keep <laughs> keep fans for life you got to get them when they're 12 you know so <laughs> uh um was that vince russo remember that incident where hulk hogan i think he was in yeah when hogan was in wcw and russo had hogan's opponent told him to just get down lay on the uh canvas with, uh, yeah that was with uh diesel that um um Oh, shit. 
and Hogan just covered him. Or yeah, or it was the, the finger tap hurt uh, hurt around the world where he just touched him and he fell down. And Kevin Nash was able to pin him to get the get the strap. And then shortly after that, he lost it to um, what's her face's brother, um, the guy who was in all the screams. Um, right. Uh, that stupid little scrawny actor. Uh, anyways, he ended up winning winning the belt shortly after that. So yeah, but there but, was. The the incident where yeah that's who it was. It, wasn't there an incident where Hogan? Uh, wasn't the Russo told Hogan's opponent just to lay on the canvas and, and they told Hogan to pin him and won the match that way. And then Hogan got on the microphone and I think he he was really he was off script mad. He said uh, Russo is bullshit like that that makes his company look bad. Yeah, uh, what you're a doing? Promo on the whole deal, and he, and it was all a work to begin with. I mean, they knew what they were doing when they went out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was all a work, but that was Kevin Nash. He did that with Kevin Nash came out and tapped him on the shoulder, and he fell down, and Kevin Nash got the strap from him. Yeah, that's pretty much the death of uh, WCW. They were on a real good run until they sucked with the fans like that. That was pretty much the end of it. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> Too much of a good thing, you know? It is what it is. Those were some fun days in wrestling, though, man. Really was. Like, I, 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 I'm pretty much a big wrestling nerd. Um, if I come in geared up to talk on the topic, like, there aren't too many things you can bring up that I won't know, uh, other than, obviously, Nikita Koloff's not dead. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of a nerd myself with it. Me and uh, one of my friends, uh, he hosts. He has uh, the Realm of the Mist Network. We have a show called Blown Spot, and we we talk about some wrestling stuff on there. We bring up history and and whatnot, and what gimmicks got over, and who's copying what, and all that shit. It's just a fun show. He used he was a worker in the business. I mean, he, he was more than a worker. He he uh, made a living doing it for about twenty years, and uh, right. you know I went through I went through school with uh, Dutch Mantel, but uh, I just did not have the temperament to actually work in the ring. And one of my best friends that I grew up with, he uh, his family owned the Evansville Coliseum, which is where they came to wrestle every Wednesday. That's where Jerry Lawler and all the boys came. And uh, he also owned the Hook and Shoot promotion. That's how I got into fighting because it, it was. As soon as I got in the ring and someone got too snug with me, then I, I would start throwing taters at them, and, and that would be a wrap. So they were like, we're just going to let you go ahead and fight because that seems to be the best thing for you. <laughs> so so you actually got to work with uh, Dutch Mantel? I went through his school, yeah. Right. Damn. That's, that's awesome. He was based here in, in uh, southern Indiana and, and Memphis. Um, and uh, his school here – it was nowhere near what these kids are going through now, you know, like the power plant or, you know, down, down in Florida for NXT and all that stuff. This right. is basically a four week class to be able to take bumps on the mat, run the ropes, know how to position your foot left or go to the right, depending on if you threw your opponent into the ropes or if they're coming at you, just knowing how to do those basic things and be right. the beginnings of throwing a soft punch. Uh, right. That was about the extent of Dutch Mantel school. And then after that, you were thrown out there and, and you know, some old, old veteran would just fucking stretch you. So, so you, you, they, you were thrown out there as a jobber. Oh, no, totally. The, a jobber. the main names. Yeah, I was totally a jobber. Yeah. 
Yeah. See that that's what used to be the the beauty of it though that I found fascinating is that you would turn wrestling on on Saturdays and watch it and they'd have the big names come out there and they go up against you know they come beat out up some, the same guys every week yeah <laughs> yeah with some jobber and stuff and, and everything and then they do the promos and, and stuff and, and I liked it that way uh, I really did um, yeah you don't have to have your 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 title holder out there wrestling a, a name every every week. He can go out there and just kind of show right. off and cut a promo, and it's still entertaining. Right. Ric Flair did it for 20 years. Yeah, and, and I think I think it drawed more of an audience. You know, it, it made it was better that way than going against, you know, big names against big names all the time. Yeah, because uh, back in those days, they would cut promos on each other in studio, and there would be a little, you know, fracas breakout. That'd be about the – that's how they built up heat for the match. You never right. saw him in the ring until the big big event. Now you see him in the ring with each other all the damn time. They're one week they're tag team partners, the next week they're against each other, and I mean it really. Someone, uh, someone who's supposed to be like really over that really kind of takes the shine off of them if they're out there with everybody else who's a name and they're never really clearly winning matches or whatever you know because back back in the day Ric Flair could never actually win a match legitimately. So if you saw him against names, then that would be super exposed. So instead, you know, like Starcade and all that shit, it was how was he going to escape and fuck over Dusty this week? Right. In the match, you know, he would have to escape or fuck him over. That's why he got he's called the dirtiest player in the game because of those feuds he had. Right. You know, and people don't people don't realize and I I say this this it's not the first episode I'm going to say this on uh, the people who listen to the show have heard me say this before, but I truly believe that it's not jazz or even blues that are the great American art forms. I think that it's kayfabe. I think kayfabe is, is the greatest American art form there that has ever been. And it's been dead now for 20 years, basically. But while it was going, you know, I mean, even though you knew it was fake, they always left the door open for you to go, man, are they, are they really going at it this time? Right. Now, now you see through it because they're always pulling high spots and they're always doing, you know, they're flying through the air everywhere. It's different. But that's yeah. what it's like now, you know, video games did that. And what makes me wonder is how, how did those guys commute? You know, I mean, obviously today you got, cell phones and Google and uh, you can call your promoter and booker and, you know, get your directions easily. But, but, but then it wasn't like that. You'd have to stop for a damn pay phone. Well, in, have the days, to... in the days of kayfabe, like, you know, in the territories, Ric Flair and, and those guys, they obviously rode by themselves or together. But whenever you're dealing with all of the rest of the workers, you know, your Magnum TA rode with Ronnie Garvin. He didn't ride with, whoever he, he didn't ride with fucking Nikita Koloff. If you saw them at a restaurant together, then the whole fucking thing was blown. That's what kayfabe was. So, you know, I mean that just running the miles driving everywhere and just how, how, if you're from Sarasota, Florida, how do you find the Mount Vernon high school gym to go perform? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how how those guys used to do, they used to be on the road at little places like that all the time. And and how did how do they keep in contact with with their booker and and mm-hmm. and, and all that you know the, to go over the match and and how who's gonna uh, come out on top? I mean, uh, well, back it, then they really worked what uh, 
um, what they call programs. And uh, so you knew that for the next three months, your dance partner, you know, like Jerry Lawler, he knew his dance partner was going to be Bill Dundee for the next three months. Or Ric Flair knew that him and Dusty were going to do Starcade for the summer. So that, that, that's how it all worked together, even though they went to different areas and different promotions. Right. So, but that's, that's what kayfabe is. And that's, that's why I say it's the greatest and, and lost American art form. Cause it just doesn't exist anymore. So it, it's more of a, a program type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they called it. Uh, you're you're going to work a program with this guy for the next six weeks and it's going to culminate in, you know, the DDQ, you know, the no disqualification match, or, you know, you might, we, right. you might get a chance at the strap or whatever. That was the whole point of working an extended program. Um, right. But then back then, not everybody, you know, you didn't have 24 hour information of what every move these guys are doing. So whenever they showed up in your town two weeks from now, you know, you didn't know everything they did for the past two weeks. It was, you know, a whole new show, even though they're doing the same show they just did last night. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I wonder if it was hard to keep up with their bookings, like, you know, like main, a big main events and pay-per-views compared to like when they would come to the little high school gyms, like in Harrisonburg. Uh, uh, the biggest thing you hear a, a lot of those guys talk about from the territory days is not so much keeping track of all of that stuff um, because everybody was kind of part of development. You were able to develop your character and, and work with your work with the other guy, often enough that you knew what was going to happen in the match to the point you didn't have to rehearse it. But the biggest thing that they complain about really is getting paid off by the promoters. That's the biggest thing that they all bitched about. They knew what was supposed to be happening. It was a matter of getting paid right. Cause all of those promoters back then were basically fucking carnies and they'd rip you off at, at, as soon as they could. So how would the, what the promoters, how would they pay them? Mail them a check through the mail. You get paid at the gate at the, you know, at the venue. And, you know, if you're somebody big like Flair or whatever, he's working for Crockett, you know, he's got a weekly check from Crockett. And then plus for every stadium or, you know, gym he goes to, he's getting a piece of the gate because he's the headliner, but not, you know, he's him and Dusty would get paid off the gate. Everybody else would just get paid 15 or 25 or 50 bucks. That's just what you got because you're not putting butts in the seat and everybody's here to see dusty and Ric Flair. So that, that was, that's always all of the old timers biggest gripe is the old promoters just fucking them out of money left and right. Damn. That's interesting. Uh... And it's sad because you see everything, these guys, you know, you look at somebody who wrestled back then and the fact they can't even walk and, <laughs> You know, and now you're now you're thinking about they did that for twenty five dollars a night, four nights a week to get that one big show and get, you know, five hundred bucks. Like that's that's not a not a living, you know. Those guys got there fucked you, over. There used to be a, a an old saying like back in those days, if you had a football background, you had a better chance of being selected. Uh yeah, because be they were at, more physical by nature. And back, you know, you had it wasn't high spots or touch spots. I mean, you you took real bumps, and you took you know you you got slammed a lot, a lot more than they do now. You know, right? If you watch Lex Luger, for example, yeah, 
Or if you watch wrestling recently, name the last time you saw a sunset flip. Right. All right. Dude, I don't know. When was the last time they done a sunset flip? Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, or I tell you what, when's the last time they done a scaffold match? Oh yeah, well yeah, that, <laughs> that you'll probably never see that again because of what they did to Corny, and uh, then uh, Jerry Lawler broke uh, Paulie dangerously. He broke his jaw because he he uh, he backed out of doing the scaffolding match. He didn't he didn't want to do the drop. And so Lawler is like, are you fucking kidding me? We've done this buildup for two months, and now you're going to back out? Like, supposedly at the Louisville Gardens, he broke his he broke his jaw. Lawler has said he did it on purpose. So. Damn. Yeah. You back don't then, believe it. Or... Back then, they were rough boys. They they did not play nice. Just about two years ago, maybe, uh, I talked uh, talk to the Rock and Roll Express. At, uh, Ricky and Rose, was... yeah. Yeah, it was called Cooter's uh, Cooter's Stranagavza or or, or something they had. Is Ricky not a trip to just see? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just so still lost in the 80s and and everything, and it's it's cool to see him still be able to do it, but he's not able to do it like he used to, so it's almost kind of getting sad, but he's so in character 24-7, no matter what. They had a, a ring. This was an event for Cooter Store, which is affiliated with uh, uh, Cooter of the Dukes of Hazard. Oh no, shit. Okay. Yeah, and it was a big event they had in Luray, Virginia, and uh, I rode with my dad there, and we were walking around, uh, looking at different things. All of a sudden, I seen this little wrestling ring. I'm like, "What the heck?" And well, uh, walked up looking around, and there was uh, Ricky and Robert. Uh, standing there, uh, selling selling memorabilia or something. But anyway, he's uh, yep. he started, you know, he's talking to me. We got in conversation. I got a, a picture with him, and uh, it turned out to be a good day, you know. And uh, he's super entertaining, and for as beat up as he is, he's still super high energy. I mean, he obviously has his moments, but uh, right. he's just always on with his gimmick too, which is, I mean, he lives it. That's for sure. Uh, and he will shoot on anybody. If you ask him anything about any wrestler, he will throw the dirt on them. If he doesn't like them, he will just put it out there just at the drop of a hat. It's so fucking funny. I think the biggest confusion that happened back, back in those days with, was with the uh, Black Scorpion uh, trying to figure out who you know was going to be revealed as a scorpion with the, the cage match with uh, him and Sting. Uh-huh. And uh, from what Ric Flair had, had wrote, uh, said his interviews, you, they, they were the moment kind of decision. That wasn't the game. <laughs> yeah, he, he said they'd done it to embarrass him, to mm-hmm. further embarrass him and and all that, which I can't, well, remember, he, I can't remember his name, but the president of WCW at that point in time took the book. Jim Hurd. Yeah, he took the book away from Flair took the strap away from him, did everything they could to make sure he wasn't only doing house shows. Like they did everything they could to like really fucking belittle him and everything. And it was just, and and he was still fucking loyal until Vince threw enough money at him. But I mean, he was loyal all the way through. Now, when you say house shows, you mean the shows that just came on, on regular TV networks on the weekends? No, the house shows, you know, like whenever they appear at the Mount Vernon middle school gym. 
Uh, oh. Or at the Evansville Coliseum and it's not televised. That's what that's a house show. Gotcha. Okay. So anything that wasn't televised was considered house shows. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they have shows that are on the tele. They have matches that are on the televised shows, but you don't see them on TV, and that's called a dark match because you never saw it. They never saw the light of day, so it's dark. Okay. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah, man, I got I got five more hours of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, I, uh, again, man, I, I really do super appreciate you being available here on a Sunday evening for me. And uh, I'll make sure on whenever the episode comes out, which will be next week, not this coming week, uh, my episodes drop on Tuesday or and Wednesdays. And I'll make sure that all of the tags for all of your work is included so that way people can put a face to the name and all that good stuff. And then also be able to find some of your work that you've done and, um, uh, help people kind of keep an eye on you and see what you got coming up on the horizon, man. Best of luck to you. Great. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for bringing me on. You take care. I appreciate it, man. It's been a blast for everybody out there in podcastville until next time. Don't get any on you and don't forget your squeegee. Have a good one. Got them.